Father God, Lord, uh, once again, thank you so much for keeping us safe and uh, guiding us always. And Lord, uh, tonight or this morning, Father God, uh, we were going to uh, study your word. And Father God, uh, we keep asking you uh, give us wisdom and understanding through this process, oh God, and that we may apply uh, what we learned, what we heard uh, in our lives daily. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, and help us, oh dear God, to understand your word. All this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning we are continuing the same thought from last week. So we're going to do a bit of refresher from last week. So we remember where we are. Uh, last week was 1 John 2, 18 to 21. And we saw that there would be an antichrist who would come at the end of this age. But his way is being prepared right now by false doctrine, false gospels. And these are the antichrists that John is talking about. And just like in the last antichrist we will see a man who calls himself god uh, so right now with the antichrists they are taking the focus off of the true god and putting it onto false gods so these false teachers in order to trick uh the the people of god the church they are going to claim some sort of authority such as the uh, the apostles. So they will say, I have apostolic authority. Uh, I have been given a word from God. I am able to tell you God's words. Uh, this is not true if their message is different from the original message of the apostles, because the original message of the apostles as well matched with Jesus Christ's words. So this morning, we're actually going to stay almost entirely in the words of Jesus to see what was the original message. Uh, but uh, they, even Jesus said that there would be a departure from this truth, a falling away of this truth. Um, now, those can be um, probably not the best words to use as uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 is where we get those words. And it's it's been better translated these days as as a taking out but there's still going to be a departure from truth and that's going to happen very early on uh, in the in the church age uh, but we don't have to be fooled by these false doctrines because we have the apostolic message written down in scripture and we have the holy spirit to guide us into all knowledge and truth and that's our anointing so let's uh, look a bit here at, uh, at our text this morning. It's going to be from 1 John 2, 22 to 25, but we're going to start with 22 to 23. And it says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the son has the father also. So basically what he's saying is these two go hand in hand. You can't have the son and not the father. You can't have the father, not the son. If you believe one, you believe the other. So 
denial of Jesus as the Christ denies the very message of God and denies Jesus and therefore denies God. So if you accept um, Jesus as a man, but not as the Christ, and then try to say you believe in God, well, this is false because Jesus is the Christ, the Christ of God. Um, so you have to believe Jesus as the God man in order to be believing God as well. Um, and we're going to look at that in, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus Christ claims that um, he has been testified about by God. Uh, so this is the Antichrist, though. Anyone who is going to deny the Father and the Son together because he has denied that the Son is the Christ. Uh, that, that means that he has denied the entire message because he's trying to change it. But if someone confesses the Son, that means confesses that the Son is the Christ, or in other words, changes his mind about who Jesus Christ is, that he is not just a man, but he is the God-man who can save him from his sins. This is saving faith. So he has the Son, and he has the Father. <clears throat> so just by way of reminder, uh, last week, First uh, John 2, 18 through 21, I'm going to read this one more time so we can have this fresh in our minds about what John is talking about. He says, children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, that is the end times Antichrist, even now many Antichrists have appeared already. From this we know that it is the last hour. They, the Antichrists, went out from us, saying that they were apostles, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, if they had been apostles, they would have remained with the apostles. But they went out of the apostles so that it would be shown that they are not apostles. But you have an anointing, that is you, the believer, everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ, has an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. That means knowing the truth about who Jesus Christ is, uh, knowing saving faith, but also um, able to understand God's word as it is given to us by means of the Holy Spirit. I have not written to you, believers, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. So he is reassuring us that we have the original message. We have the right message already. People are going to be coming, telling us different messages. We don't believe them. We believe the first message. And because no lie is of the truth. So we're looking at the lies here in, uh, in 1 John 2, 21. We're looking at the lie that Jesus is not the Christ. Uh, that is a lie. Jesus is the Christ. And that is how we obtain the Father and the Son, is by believing that truth. In 1 John 4, 3, when John uh, comes back to warning us against false spirits, he writes, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now, the reason why these spirits can't confess Jesus, the man, as Christ, uh, the chosen one of God, is because 
the end times antichrist is going to claim that he himself is the Christ of God. And there can't be two messiahs, two chosen ones of God. The antichrist will put himself in the temple of God in the last days and claim that he is the one who is from God, who can save from sins. So he is going to deny Jesus Christ. We see this in uh, in the religion of Islam, where they deny that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. They say that Muhammad is the last prophet. Uh, this is just one of so many antichrist spirits, or there is one spirit of antichrist, but so many antichrist messages trying to claim that Jesus Christ is not the chosen one of God. Okay, Janet writes, the word spirit is our spirit, right? Are you talking about 1 John 4.3? Uh, this is talking about spirit in general. So if um, I'd say it's the spirit of the message, because uh, in, what is that? Ephesians 4, it talks about that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against uh, princes and principalities and spirits of the air or spirits of darkness. Uh, I think it's this kind of spirit that it's talking about. There is the spirit that is from God, the Holy Spirit, the one that unites all of us. But there is also this spirit of Antichrist. So what John is doing here in 1 John 4 is identifying the spirit of Antichrist. So that it might not come to you in a person, but it might even come to you in some sort of, of uh, dream or during some sort of transcendental meditation. I don't know if that's as popular in, in the Philippines and Hong Kong as it is here in America, but someone might have a spirit come to them in some sort of vision or some sort of dream and think that they've been given an authoritative message from God. We see apostles and prophets all the time on YouTube claiming that God has given them a dream, God has given them a message, but this message goes against scripture. It's a different message, not the one from the Bible. Uh, so we have to reject that and deny that because although it might seem biblical, if we test it out, if we, if we check it, what it's generally doing is removing the, uh, the confession of Jesus Christ and placing it somewhere else. So we have to maintain this clarity and this certainty around the gospel that it is on no other foundation except for Jesus Christ. And uh, making it about our works or our perseverance, even that is removing this message from Jesus Christ as the one who saves from sins and uh, adding to that or changing that so that we depend on ourselves or so that we depend on another spirit or even so that we depend on a government power. Uh, we have to be depending fully and completely on Jesus Christ for our salvation. In John's second letter, this is a letter he writes probably as a follow-up to uh, the letter we're currently studying. And it's a short one, just about 14 verses. And he's writing to an individual church body. And he's talking about some of these bigger truths that he handled in his bigger epistle. So he writes, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. 
So he's identified these antichrists as deceivers or liars. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. So he's handling a very specific way that they deny his Christhood. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So here he's handling just one specific inflection of denying Jesus Christ that'll say that he didn't come in flesh, he came as a spirit. Uh, and so he, he's not a kinsman redeemer. It is necessarily true that he came in the flesh in order to save those who are of the flesh. Um, so he saves mankind and mankind alone through his uh, kinsman redeemership. So this is the original message from Jesus Christ also. And remember back in the first few verses of uh, the, the epistle of 1 John, John writes that he is writing to us what is from the beginning, what he saw, what he witnessed. And when we look at the gospel of John, the message isn't different, but the purpose is different. The purpose of 1 John is so that we might believe. The purpose of, or sorry, the purpose of the gospel of John is so that we might believe. The purpose of the epistle of John is because we have believed so that we might have fellowship. So in the gospel of John, we're going to see the same message given from Jesus Christ, but for a different purpose. It's not bringing Christians into deeper faith. It's bringing unbelievers into initial faith. So here in 1 John, or in uh, the gospel of John chapter 8, uh, we read Jesus Christ speaking of himself, the same kind of message that John will tell us in the epistles. So we read, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have light of life. So remember John's allusions in verses 5 through 10 of, of 1 John 1, where he's talking about the light and walking in the light. This is the original message that Jesus Christ gave to John. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now in the, in the law, you needed two witnesses in order to confirm something. Even in the law, uh, God himself calls heaven and earth, the two witnesses to testify uh, to this covenant that he, he cut with Israel. Uh, in the last days, in Revelation 11, we're going to see two witnesses that come and testify against the Antichrist uh, and testify to Jesus Christ. So the Pharisees are saying, you need two witnesses to corroborate your story here. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, so even if he is the only one speaking, his testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. So he has experiential evidence here. He has experienced both heaven and earth. He knows one realm and he knows the other. The Pharisees only see the one realm. So Jesus is saying, my authority is higher than yours, not needing two witnesses. However, uh, it says, you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But Jesus Christ says, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. So Jesus Christ is saying that God the Father is the other witness, that he is testifying about himself. 
God the Father is the other witness who corroborates this. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So what Jesus Christ is saying is, there, here are these two witnesses towards Jesus Christ's being the Christ. And if they disbelieve one, the other, they also must by necessity disbelieve because either God is a liar or God is true here. Uh, and Jesus Christ is the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah of God. Jesus continues, and he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So Jesus has authority to speak of a world that the Pharisees have never seen. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, this is Jesus' message to the Pharisees of what saving faith entails. They must believe Jesus' witness about himself, that he is the Christ. That is the beginning and the end of the message that they must believe in order to be saved. Jesus Christ is the chosen one of God. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Doesn't this ring a bell? It sounds a lot like John's language. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. So Jesus Christ is coming on authority of God and relaying the message of God to the world. Later on, uh, about eight chapters later, Jesus Christ is going to be addressing specifically believers, those believers who have been with him for a while, they are mature in their faith, uh, but still have a lot to learn about the age yet to come. So this is what we call the upper room discourse. Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples before the crucifixion, before that um, event where he lays down his life for our sins. So what he has to say to uh, the Pharisees is going to be similar to what he has to say to these Christians, however, just like in 1 John, the, the purpose of the statement is a little different because he's speaking to a different audience. He's speaking to a saved audience here. So he writes, or he says, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling, not so that you might be saved, but kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills, or where, see, an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering a service to God. These antichrists and these deceivers, those deceiving and those deceived, will believe that they are serving God in coming up against his message in, because they never from the beginning trusted in God's message, but the message of men instead, thinking that it was God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. 
because they never knew the truth, they will believe a lie and they will think that it is the truth. This is what Paul was doing. He thought that he knew God. And so he was murdering Christians, thinking he was doing a service for God. But then God revealed himself to Paul. Paul came to believe that Jesus was the Christ. He was saved by that faith. And then he was brought into all knowledge concerning the word of God. So it wasn't until he had faith in God or in faith in the Christ of God that uh, he departed from this prior lifestyle thinking he was serving God uh, into actually serving God. But these things I've spoken to you, he continues, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus Christ is about to depart from them, and he's giving them his departing message. These are the things that he didn't tell them from the beginning, but this entire gospel period, when John is speaking, he's looking back retrospectively as the beginning. So this wasn't the beginning of Jesus' message, but this was all-inclusive within Jesus' message on earth that uh, scoffers were coming and that they were going to enter into the church, claiming to be the true church and persecute those who believe in Jesus Christ alone for faith, uh, that that is enough. Uh, so Jesus promises a helper. Uh, so here's going to be a third witness to Jesus Christ's testimony. So not only does the Father testify, but the Son testifies about himself, and also the Spirit will testify to the Son. Uh, but the Spirit has two different tactics with two different people. To the unsaved world, he's going to have a convicting and a restraining uh, ministry. To the saved world, he has a regenerating, a baptizing, and an indwelling ministry. And those are all one-time acts at the time of salvation. But he also has a filling ministry. And this happens continually throughout a Christian's life. And that's what we're mainly focused on in the gospel or in the epistle of John is the filling of the believer. Uh, because the regeneration, baptism, and indwelling is already completed at the time those readers are reading 1 John. But here he writes about the helper that's coming into the world, specifically in his ministry to the unsaved world, because it is going to be the task of the Christians to preach the gospel to the unsaved world. And he's going to tell them, you're not doing this alone, but the Spirit is paving the way for that message. So he writes, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I, Jesus Christ, go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is going to give us the ministry of the Spirit here, starting with the unsaved world, and then he's going to go to the saved world. And he, when he comes, will convict the world, the unsaved world, the cosmos system, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So sin, righteousness, and judgment are these three avenues that the Holy Spirit is going to take to convict the unbeliever of his need for salvation concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So they will, uh, they will see their sins next to uh, the 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ and might not be convicted of their individual sins, but they will be convicted of their sinfulness and that they need some sort of righteousness. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, so Jesus Christ no longer being on earth, the Holy Spirit will take up that comparative um, convicting ministry where they will see the righteousness of Christ through the Holy Spirit in the church, and that will be their conviction towards righteousness. But finally, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So it's one thing to see that you don't measure up uh, to Jesus Christ, that you don't measure up uh, in the spirit because of your sinfulness. It's another to realize that the end of that not measuring up is that you will be judged. Um, and it's not that they will be judged and they don't know the end either, but because the ruler of the world, the ruler over the unsaved world, this cosmos system, is Satan, and Satan has already been judged. So they are standing on a defeated side. They are, uh, they are Germany after, after the war ended, but before uh, the allies went in and put them all on trial. The conviction was always going to be that they were guilty, but the punishment was yet to be doled out. So those who are being convicted of judgment here know their, know their conviction, but don't quite understand the severity of it. And that's what the gospel message is going to come in and show them more clearly. But until they want out of the cosmos system, they're not going to hear this message. So Janet writes, why is it needed for Jesus to go first before the advocate comes? More elaboration, please. Uh, let me see how to say this best. Um, <clears throat> hmm. Let me come back to that one at the end of this, if that's okay. Give me a bit of time to think about it. All right. Okay. So next is going to be the unity. So we've seen the lie, the false truth. Um, now we're going to come and see what is true. Uh, so it, we read in 1 John 2, 24 to 25, as for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. So look again at this word abide. We've come across this a few times in 1 John already. It's the Greek word meno, and it means to stay, not to move. But recognize this really important truth that we don't move ourselves into a position and then stay there but rather we have been put in a position by Jesus Christ and the, by the Holy Spirit. And our duty is not to leave that. So it's not our efforts to abide, but rather it's our negative efforts not to depart from where we have been placed. We have been placed, as Paul writes in Ephesians, in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. That is a position that we did not attain for ourselves, but one that he put us in. And our duty is to live to that uh, position, 
to live in that position that Jesus Christ has already placed us. So this recognition of the truth of the position that he has granted to us is what we are going to abide in. We are not going to depart from that truth. We rest on it. What is that truth? The truth is eternal life, that through faith alone in Christ alone, he has granted us eternal life. How do we depart from this abode in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ in fellowship? We stop believing that faith is enough. We start believing that we need to persevere, that we need to maintain our position. Well, at that point, we start believing that by our own efforts, we attain this position in the heavenlies. But rather, what Jesus Christ came to teach us from the beginning is that we do not deserve it, we cannot merit it, but Jesus Christ, by his death, has granted it to us. That by faith alone, we obtain salvation by no other means. So these false doctrines claiming that Jesus is not the Christ is going to claim alternate routes to heaven. They might even add in a portion of Jesus Christ saying he paid 99% of it. You've got to pay 1%. But this is claiming that Jesus Christ is not the Christ. He's claiming that he is a Christ, 99%, and you are a Christ, 1%. Because Christ alone can give you salvation. So as for you, let that abide in you. So letting that rest in you, what you heard from the beginning. So here's another one of those if-then statements where, uh, where John is saying, if this is true, this is also true. These logical uh, equations that John gives us verbally uh, are always pointing towards that original truth of Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, uh, chosen one of God to erase the sins or to pay for the sins of the world. So if you are abiding in this truth, if you are abiding in the original message of Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, then you are abiding in the Son and in the Father. Your walk might not be perfect, but you are not going to perfect your walk here on earth, but you're not even going to better your walk on this earth if you're trying to do it yourself. But if you are resting in this truth that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, then the Holy Spirit has the avenue, the pathway, the clear, uh, the clear unhindered means of bringing you into a better, closer relationship with Jesus Christ through fellowship. So that when you stop trying to do it yourself, when you stop trying to make your sins stop to make them go away, that gives the Holy Spirit free reign on your life to realize that I can't do it, but the Spirit can. And even if I fail, I confess my sins and I'm brought back into fellowship with God. And that promise that we have to hold on to, that we cannot ever let go that has to be forefront in our minds is eternal life. This life is fading away. Remember, John says, this is the last hour. This is almost over. But Jesus Christ and the Father, our fellowship with him, that is forever. And we are already in that position. That position cannot be taken from us. Uh, we already have essential unity with Jesus Christ. 
even if our communion at times breaks, that unity cannot break. We have been reborn spiritually. So what is abiding in the Father? Uh, in John 14, so we're going back two chapters to the beginning of the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make him and make our abode with him. So this is not speaking of salvation. This is speaking of communion and fellowship, that by keeping God's word, that love relationship will be reciprocal, where God loves us, but are we in the love of God? Are we abiding within him? We do that by keeping his word, by keeping his commandments, and his commandments to us in the church age is to love God and to love our neighbors. He who does not love me does not keep my word, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus Christ is saying, this is not a message even original just to me, but this is the message that the Father has sent me. And then we see John has taken that message and passed it on to more believers. So when we take this message and we pass it on to more believers, we have that original message from God through Jesus Christ, through the apostles, written in scriptures that we share. It's not our message, it's God's. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, so that's physically while remaining uh, with the apostles, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Uh, so hopefully to answer Janet's question a little better, uh, Jesus Christ right now must be our advocate in heaven before the throne of the Father. He pleads our innocence before the Father, just as Satan, the, the false spirit, the devil, tries to plead our guilt before the Father. Jesus Christ has judicially paid it all so that he is our advocate and our propitiation. He is both our lawyer and the one who paid the fines. Uh, so he can stand before God at his throne and both pray for us, but also plead our innocence. The Holy Spirit, by, uh, by gift of Jesus Christ, came both as a comforter to those who believe and a convictor to those who do not believe. The Holy Spirit has... Uh, has filled the void or filled the absence of Jesus Christ from us because we being uh, reborn spiritually desire to be with Jesus Christ, though at this time the world is still in sin and has not been reclaimed by Jesus Christ. So I would say it was necessary for Jesus Christ to go for the Holy Spirit to come because it was necessary for Jesus Christ to go. Uh, so the Holy Spirit didn't necessarily have to wait for Jesus Christ to go, but because of the necessity that Jesus Christ go before the throne of God, he sent the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yes. Because our position is together with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies, but our physical position is still here on this earth. So he has sent the helper 
the third part of the Trinity, to be that presence, that physical presence together with us. Though we only sense him spiritually, he is physically present with us in the body of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Hopefully, that's uh, still kind of settling in my mind here, but as I read this scripture, it becomes a little more clear. Yeah, I have a little understanding. I feel like that. I have a little understanding of that. Um, okay, but in the next verses, Jesus continues uh, talking to the disciples here, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So Jesus Christ is the vine. If you picture this in your mind, he's the root, the tap system. And Jesus, or the Father, is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is the one who trims, who prunes, who cleans, who maintains this, this vine in order to make it produce fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, by means or by necessity of these being branches, they are essentially in unity with Jesus Christ. They have been made like him. Uh, but if it does not bear fruit, he takes it away. This is not talking about salvation at all. Uh, this is talking about our fellowship with Jesus Christ, but also our physical life with Jesus Christ in this earth that it is more prudent for God to take us out of this world physically if we are a hindrance to ourself, if we are a hindrance to the gospel, if we are uh, carnally living in the church, it is better that we sleep than that we be alive. Um, sadly, that was the fate of many in the Corinthian church uh, where Paul says, many of you have gone to sleep. Many of you are asleep. He's not saying they're sleeping on the job. He is using a euphemism that is often used in scripture for the death of a believer. That, yes, on this earth, we can be punished to death. That death is not the ultimate punishment, but eternal damnation is the ultimate punishment. Eternal damnation will never be the punishment of one who has believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. It's impossible. We have been born of the Spirit, and what has been born of the Spirit cannot die. So here, being taken out of the branch for not bearing fruit might mean, and this is not a 100%, this is a very possible option. And this is talking about it again, an extreme option for Jesus or for God to take away the believer's life because he is not bearing fruit on the branch. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear fruit. So even the believer who is resting on the vine, if not producing fruit, or even if producing fruit, God might trim it. Uh, making it, uh, I guess, even allowing trials to come to it so that its fruit might be stronger, might be more fruitful. Uh, my family on my uh, property, we had a plum tree. And every, was it every spring, we'd go out, we had to hit it with bats so that it might think we we're chopping it down. And then the plums would come even more because it thinks 
uh, bearing fruit here. But again, keep in mind that the fruit bearing comes through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come through us. So that it's the Holy Spirit pulsing through us when we are not blocking the Holy Spirit from functioning in us, then that fruit can come through us. So keep in mind that same thing here. If we are blocking the Holy Spirit from bearing fruit at all, it's better for us that we not be here. Uh, I know I see a couple grimaces on Janet's face. I think she's trying to rationalize this. Um, I'd say go to 1 Corinthians. A lot of Christians were uh, unfortunately taken out of the way. Now, this is a more extreme punishment. This is basically saying the most that can happen to you is that you will be removed from this life, but you will never be removed from the life with Jesus Christ. So that's uh, laying out essentially the maximum punishment uh, of a Christian, but uh, it is not necessarily God's uh, hope and desire that you be punished unto death. That is a very extremely disobedient Christian uh, that to be honest, it is better for you not to suffer in your sins on this earth any longer, but to be immediately brought into glory with God. Uh, because, yeah, we, we ought to be fruit-bearing Christians here on earth. It is better for us uh, to be doing that than to be living as if we are still part of the world system. So continuing on, this one's always kind of a hard scripture to go through. Not because it's difficult to understand, but I think because the, the truths in it are difficult to wrestle with. Uh, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. If we are not abiding in Jesus Christ in that truth of eternal life through him and his word and his commandments, uh, then we are not going to be bearing fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, we've got another chat here. <laughs> what literally as dead, physically dead, as it really needs to fear God. Yes, physically dead. And again, this is an extreme punishment, but remember Ananias and Sapphira for lying to the Holy Spirit were punished unto death. Um, so in the Corinthian church, many who were living carnal lives as Christians were punished to death. Now, I, I don't say that whenever a believer dies, that's a punishment unto death. Um, this is a very extreme uh, measure that was given out at the beginning of the church age, particularly in order to show uh, the parameters or the limits of the Christian life. Uh, that, uh, but it is important for us to keep in mind fully that a Christian's destiny at death is eternal life with Christ. So that even those who are being punished unto death um, are still entering into glory with God that is eternal. Their works might be burned up. They might have nothing to show for it on the other end. They might reach heaven as though through fire as it's put in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, but they are still in heaven together with God in glory for eternity. So in first, or in uh, the Gospel of John, I think this is our last few slides here, uh, chapter 3, where he's speaking with Nicodemus. 
we read, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So that if whoever has looked at Jesus Christ as the, uh, the one who takes away his sins, this is the faith. This is believing that Jesus Christ is the Christ of God, the Messiah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So this could not be clearer about uh, the means of salvation is faith alone in Christ alone on the foundation, on the sure source of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has paid for our sins and we acquire his payment by faith alone. What is belief in John 6, 38 to 40? We read, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but rise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day." So that there will be none missing of those who have believed on the last day. That from the worst Christian to the best one, we will all be risen together on the last day in Jesus Christ. So 1 John uh, 2.22-25. What is our summary here? I hope I finish this today. Okay, Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus was sent by the Father as the Christ, that is the Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. This means the anointed or the chosen one. This message is the saving message of the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ of God, uh, Christ just meaning that he is the one chosen of God, the chosen one of God, his purpose was to take away the sins of the world, to take away the reproach brought on man by sin, that is the saving gospel. If you believe that you have life in Jesus Christ as the chosen one of God, this is salvation. The antichrists preach a different gospel than this. They are going to come and alter the Christhood of God. They might even claim Jesus. They might even claim God, but their definition of who that is and what that means is going to be different. It might be a completely different message. They might come preaching to you Zoroaster and not God or Jesus at all. But no matter how close they come to the gospel, if it is not faith alone and Christ alone, it is a different gospel. These teachers will deceive primarily unbelievers, but they will also deceive believers. Unbelievers have been blinded by Satan. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, we see that Satan has blinded the unbelieving world from believing the gospel. His deceivers are part of that blinding. They will confuse 
and uh, alter what those men think is the gospel, but it's not. But they are also possible for them to deceive believers. That if the believer is not walking with the Holy Spirit, is not seeking out uh, the word of God through prayer and trusting in that promise of eternal life, then it is possible for him to be deceived. It is possible for the believer to believe that he has not been saved, that he must do something more for his salvation. Now, falling away from this faith doesn't damn the believer to eternal hell. Because he has believed in Jesus Christ, and because he has been reborn of the Spirit, he cannot die. But he can destroy his witness here on earth. He can destroy his life here on earth by choosing instead to believe a lie after he has first believed the truth. So they will try to ruin the believer's witness by making him doubt the promise of Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. By adding to faith alone, the Antichrists cast doubt even among the church, and believers were fall out of fellowship with God, but also the church's message to the outside world will be a false gospel as well if this happens. So we have to be very sure that we are abiding in the word of God and not in the word of these antichrists. And that is uh, going to be John's final message here to, uh, to the church regarding internal affairs. He's going to start talking later about how we deal with the outside world in verses or in chapters three, four, and five. So this, these are the most intimate portions here of of the gospel of first john chapters one to chapters two and next week in uh, verses 26 27 28 and 29 we'll get his summary statement of these of these past two chapters so with that we're done and uh, in good timing as well so let me pray and then we'll have any more discussion here all right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have sent your son to this world to die on the cross and to rise again, fully paying for our sins, that if we no more than believe in him and what he has given to us through his death and life, then we can have salvation. We thank you that this is a gift that we cannot lose. We thank you that you have given us eternal security that uh, our walk and our salvation might be separated from one another so that we have the ability to walk knowing that our final destiny is secure in the heavenlies with you. Lord, we pray uh, that you give us the perseverance to abide in the word, to abide in you, uh, that we, we give no hindrance to the Holy Spirit working in and through us but rather that we are uh, properly trimmed conduits of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we pray for your correction in areas where we need correction. We pray for your guidance where we need guidance. And we pray always that you bear fruit through us uh, so that we might be a, a functioning and useful part of the body. Lord, we pray all these things in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. are there any questions yeah <laughs> it's late, it's late. <laughs> i'm also asking prayer for her for my daughter uh -huh. okay she's she's 20 years old but 
no, she's not serving. I mean, she stopped really going to church. Yeah, we will be praying for your daughter as well then uh, throughout this week. Actually, do we want to say one more prayer for your daughter here and then we can we can yes. close? Her name is Louise Marie. Louise yes. Marie? Yes. And also Riza. Uh, Riza also have a prayer request for her exam tomorrow. Okay. Then, Thank you so much. Yeah. And yeah. then me, the, uh, for the ministry in the church that I have. That's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, dear Father, we we pray for Lisa's daughter, Luis Marie. Uh, we pray that uh, you bring her back into your fold, that uh, you comfort her and guide her uh, through her position uh, with you, that uh, you speak to her again and that you convict her of her sins so that she might confess and be brought back into fellowship. We know that that is available to any believer at any time in their life to come back into intimate fellowship with you. So Lord, we pray uh, for the intimate fellowship of Louise Marie, uh, that she is able to enjoy you here in this life uh, as well in the next. Lord, we pray for Lisa as well as she uh, prepares for her exams. We pray that you uh, sustain her as she studies and then uh, bring recollection to her mind as she, as she takes that exam. And Lord, also we pray for Janet and her ministry and her church. We pray that uh, it be a profitable and fruitful and glorifying ministry to the body of Christ. Uh, we pray that all these petitions, Lord, bring glory to you uh, and that uh, you are glorified through them in the preaching of your word and in the fellowship uh, with you among the believers. Lord, we ask all these things for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.